Good morning. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, in all times you are faithful and in all times you are good. And even when we're in the middle of crisis, we will sing of your goodness. And so, Father, would you please give us your spirit now as we turn to your word? Would you teach us what you have in front of us today, what you would want us to take away? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Current. I'm David. Uh, 2020 could be labeled as a year of crises. I mean, there have been any number of crises. Of course, there's been the pandemic crisis, but there's also been the economic crisis, also a mental health crisis crisis, a racial relations and justice crisis, and a political crisis, if we can call it that. And I think it's these last two that really can be summed up as issues of prejudice. And I think that's the topic that God has in front of us today as we continue our series, We're Still the Church, coming now to chapter uh, 10 of the book of Acts, where we see Peter and Cornelius meet. Uh, this issue of prejudice, even in the early church, something that God wanted to root out from the very, very beginning. In fact, wanting to bring everybody, starting with this church, back to his original purpose and intent when he created us, and by us, I mean all humankind, in his image. Meaning all people, regardless of background, have that inherent divine dignity in them. But we are people and we have prejudice. And this was certainly true back 2,000 years ago, but it's also true, we all know, today. God wants to, in and through the church, begin to root this out. Or put more positively, he wants to teach us to increasingly learn to love, care, and serve those who aren't like us or who think differently from us on the individual level. And so at, in Acts chapter 10, we're going to meet Cornelius, this first non-Jew convert to Christianity, this first Gentile, big deal, as we'll talk about. And God wants to use, wanted to use Peter and the church to really get over themselves and help usher this in, this gospel coming to all people, not just for the Jews. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be just kind of hitting it as we go. I'm not reading all of it today because there's just so much text to look at. But Acts 10 opens, giving us a description of Cornelius, this Gentile, this non-Jew. We're told that he lived in Caesarea. That's a coastal town in Judea. Uh, along the Mediterranean Sea. This was a garrison city for the Roman army in the day. We're also told that, that Cornelius was a centurion, meaning, of course, that he led about 100 people in his army ranks, 100 men uh, would be a modern-day captain or, or a company commander in our, our military. He was a well-accomplished guy. But mainly what Luke, the author of Acts here, is signaling to the reader is that, hey, pay attention, this guy is a Gentile. Okay, and you need to understand that there was an impassable gulf between Gentiles and Jews in that day. Uh, it's not because the scriptures taught this, but the Jews interpreted scriptures in such a way where they just kind of made things be more about kind of patriotism and, and really uh, issues of prejudice. The scriptures uh, were very, are very clear, the Old Testament scriptures, saying that God wants to bless the Gentiles, the non-Jews, through his people first, yes, but to ultimately bless the Gentiles. And there's promise after promise of the coming Messiah that would also, that would be, say, a light to the Gentiles. Yes, also to the Gentiles. But the Jews, along with all people groups back then, really looked for ways to just, you know, be prejudiced towards others, really have hatred towards others, even to the point back then where Jews would think 
of, of Gentiles as dogs. And they had a slew of rules or, or etiquette, traditions, however you want to describe it, uh, in terms of how they ought to behave around Gentiles. For instance, they had rules like no Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile. Or, nor would they invite a Gentile into their home. They, they, a, a pious Jew wouldn't even have table fellowship with a Gentile. I mean, that's to the level we're talking about. And Luke is saying, hey, that's the reality. That was the reality at this time. But we're also told in this description about Cornelius, this Gentile, that he and his family were, quote, devout followers of God. They were God-fearers which I think is also signaling to us here right at the beginning of this account that God would have him and, and his family into his family. He would not be stopped by the prejudice of even his own church. In fact, he wanted to work in and through them, as we'll see. Well, one day while he was praying, Cornelius experienced a vision. And in this vision, he saw an angel of God calling out to him. And so he re replied, what is it, Lord? And this angel told him to send for a man in, in Joppa, which was a city about 30 miles south of Caesarea, where he was, uh, a man named Simon who, went, who goes by Peter. And so Cornelius sent his servants uh, on this day's journey to off, off to get Peter and bring him back. Meanwhile, the next day, while these servants are traveling to Peter, Peter himself experiences a vision out on the rooftop while he himself was praying. Here, let's pick up in verse 11 of chapter 10. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the man sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. All right, what do we learn here? Uh, when it comes to his people loving and caring for others, in spite differences, we see here that God actually starts with our hearts. He starts with our hearts. I find it really interesting that the angel of God did not with Cornelius himself share the gospel. God didn't have the angel share the gospel with Cornelius. He could have. Instead, he went through, he, he went through all the motions to orchestrate not only a vision, vision to Cornelius, but a vision to Peter to set it up so that Peter would have to be the one to ultimately share the gospel. Why? Why would God go through the effort? Why would he orchestrate it this way? The early church by this point, and starting with Peter, hadn't been doing what Jesus had commanded them to do. And they, they had been passively, if not actively, disobeying Jesus' command to them, his mission for them. And pop quiz, current family, if, we've, if you've been here with us during this series, we've been going through the book of Acts, what is Jesus' mission for his church then and now? Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, Jesus said, you will receive... Uh, power when, when my Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, meaning to Gentiles as well. Well, by this time in Acts 10, 
Since Jesus had given them that mission, about seven or eight years had elapsed and the church, the Christian church, had not yet taken the gospel to the Gentiles, had not witnessed for Jesus with the Gentiles. Why not? Almost certainly because of racism and prejudice in their own hearts. Here's how one commentator put it that I think just nails it on the head. He said, the primary question was how God would deal with Peter here. How, how, how would he succeed in breaking down Peter's deep-seated racial intolerance? The principal subject of this chapter is not so much the conversion of Cornelius, but, the com- but of the conversion of Peter. Friends, it's really easy to think of the issues that we're facing right now as a country and just figure, you know what? Oh, that's just those people. Or that's not my issue, that's their issue. I would never do such and such, do. But you know what the gospel calls Christians to do? The gospel calls Christians to first look into our own hearts. When our country reached a bit of a breaking point with the killing of George Floyd, a number of white Christians uh, quoted a very um, uh, quoted a very a very good scriptural text in Isaiah uh, chapter one verse seventeen that says, "Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow." And to that, I think all of us say yes and amen. We're called to do these things. But you know what was never quoted at that time? People would read Isaiah 1, verse 17, but no one ever read Isaiah 1, verse 16, the verse that came right before it, which says this. God said to his people, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. It starts with wash and make yourselves clean. That is what the gospel demands of us, calls all of us to do, not to look first to other people's issues so far as we see it, not to be quick to preach at others, but to start with our own hearts and consider how we might humbly be contributing to things, how our own fallenness might affect those around us. God starts with our own hearts, but we also see here in these matters, God is gracious, but insistent. I mean, he's gracious here, but he's insistent. He's gonna, he's gonna have his way in Peter and, and through Peter. Look again at verse 16. God repeated the vision for Peter, not once, not twice, three times. And then it says, while Peter was wondering about the meaning, the men right then at that point, sent by Cornelius, showed up. I take this to mean that God was not going to be overcome by Peter's prejudice and racism here, his passive stubbornness, the deep-seated realities within him. God was not going to be stopped. If anything, God was going to be doing a work there first. Look, Peter didn't realize this form of racism was an issue for him. Uh, He had this vision And even in the vision, it was like he was kicking and screaming with God while he was being taught this lesson, right? I mean, God had to repeat it three times and Peter didn't quite get it. Even at one point in this vision, Peter said the words, surely not, Lord, which I think was kind of interesting. I mean, it's kind of comical, right? If if he's Lord, why would we say surely not? I mean, if, if he's Lord, we would kind of go with it. But Peter was really struggling at the heart level. And I think this just shows that these are things that we can easily be blind to our own selves. 
And yet God graciously and insistently was working with Peter. He says, I, I, want, to, I want to do a work in you, Peter, not just Cornelius. It's really easy for us to be blind to things like these. You know, I've been asked any number of times in the midst of everything that's been going on in this year, uh, a question like, David, do you think in all of this, God is trying to get our attention? I mean, do you, do you think he's just trying to get our attention? And, you know, I, I always respond saying, I, probably, <laughs> God's probably trying to get our attention. We can't, of course, know all the reasons for which he's doing things or allowing things to happen. But I think the gospel calls us to have the heart posture to at least think he might be trying to get our attention. And if so, what is he saying to me first? And to wrestle with that, what might he want to be doing in me to make me more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus. We live in the Bay Area in 2020, but that doesn't mean we don't ourselves have deep-seated prejudices. I shared a few weeks back how when I was a Young Life leader, which is an organization reaching out to high school students, the head leader asked all of us leaders to do an exercise where he had us close our eyes and and picture ourselves on the high school campus right after school was let out. He said, okay, I just want you to picture of all the students out there, who do you see? And so we just thought about it for a while, took notes, just, and then we came back and we shared and, and we shared different things. And I, you know, being the athlete I was at that time, just I saw the athletes, saw the basketball players over there, football players over there, and people waiting in line and oh, great, oh, great. We all shared who we saw and then he said, all right, everybody close your eyes again. And he said, okay, this time I want you to do the same thing. Picture you're on campus, but this time, who did you not see? And I was really confronted in that moment with some inner prejudices that I just have, uh, that I at least had. There were plenty of students that not only did I not see, being real with myself, I didn't want to see, or at least in a sense. Like for instance, you know, the, the gothic kids, I mean, it's back in the days of Nirvana wearing, you know, trench coats and the, and the black, you know, uh, layered clothing. I just, like, I just, I didn't feel comfortable going around there. I don't know if I wanted to go around. And I just, I had to wrestle with that. Is that was that right? No, it's not right. We, we have prejudice. We, we need to wrestle with them and understand where they might be, what they might look like in us. It might not be racial. It, it, it might be economic prejudice. It might be political prejudice. I mean, what's your heart predisposition? What's your heart's dis disposition towards those who think differently from you politically when you kind of swipe past them on Facebook or, or on or Instagram and they have a little saying there? Where, where does your heart go? Is it one of love even without necessarily agreeing with them? I'd encourage all of us to do this exercise later today. Maybe you can find some time to, to do what that leader had us do and, and, and picture yourself in your neighborhood. And who, who do you see? Just spend some time thinking about it. Who are the people you naturally and typically engage with? But then ask yourself, who in your neighbor, neighborhood do you not see? Have you not been seeing? Have you maybe not been engaging with? Maybe even to the point of purposely not engaging with. Now, I know we're sheltered in place, so this doesn't quite, you know, have the same effect today as it would, God willing, when we're back. But I'd say do the same exercise in our workplace. Who are the people we see in our workplace? Who are the people we don't see? Are we just seeing certain people of certain levels in the, in the, in the company? And, or who do we see? Who do we not see? I think the Isaiah text that we read earlier when it says, wash yourselves clean. And I think uh, explicitly talks about this. 
And I think our text today in Acts 10 implicitly talks about this, how we need to first look in our own hearts. God has insisted he wants to do a work in our own hearts. And I think that starts with repentance. That is turning away from what we know God doesn't want true of us and turning toward him. It could be a prayer like, Father, I, I, I recognize that I am far more I have far more prejudices inside me than I, I, I care to see or admit. There's, there's just some realities that I, I, I don't love this group of people as well as I should. Father, would you root that out of me? And, and Father, I also recognize that I'm probably far more prejudiced in ways that I don't even know about, that I'm, that I'm completely blind to. And so, Father, would you forgive me there? And I just ask that you would do a work in my heart to remold it in, 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 into the likeness of, of your heart. Forgive me and, and help me become more like Jesus in these regards. I pray in his name, amen. I think that's where the Lord would have us start. As he was doing this work in Peter, he would have us do the work in ourselves. The Holy Spirit insisted to Peter on that day when he received the vision, came out of it, to not hesitate, but go with the people that had arrived to see him. And so Peter came down off the rooftop, down to see who was there waiting for him. And it was undoubtedly brought to mind right then and there why the Holy Spirit had urged him to go without hesitation when he discovered that they were Gentiles. Because I imagine if, if he hadn't felt that sense of urging from the Holy Spirit to go with them without hesitation, that he probably wouldn't have gone because these were Gentiles. They did not associate with Gentiles. But then Peter did the most remarkable thing. I mean, it was really incredible, truly here. In verse 23, Peter went ahead and said, okay. And he invited them in to stay with them that night before they would travel the next day. Jews did not offer this to Gentiles, but Peter slowly but surely, little baby step, was, was moving towards what he thought God might be doing in his heart and calling him into. It might have seemed like a real baby step for him, and it, and it was in many senses, but it was incredibly important and a momentous occasion in the life of the church and, and really uh, human history here as Peter loved this man, this servant who had come, who was a Gentile. The next day, they traveled 30 miles north or so to Caesarea, and Cornelius was ready for Peter. He had gathered his whole family, gathered a bunch of close friends, and he was ready to hear what God had brought Peter to tell him. And when Peter enters the, the room, uh, he sees the crowd, and he begins in verse 28 with these words, You are well aware that it is against our laws for, a, for Jews to associate with or visit a Gentile. And it's like, come on, Peter, that's how you're going to open? Like that, that's how you're going to break the ice? Way to go. Uh, it's worth mentioning here that I think our English translation actually doesn't do a good job here. It seems to me a bit of an unfortunate translation. Because when Peter says it's against our law, he wasn't referring to the Old Testament law. It's not that Greek word being used here. In fact, a much, much better translation would probably be, it's not our tradition to do so. Or it's, it's taboo for me to do this. There's nothing in the Bible that they could Peter couldn't be there. But he was saying this is just a reality culturally for us Jews. But then he goes on to say in verse 28, but God told me to make to, to not to make such judgments about people. What then follows is a bit of a dance. Uh, Peter says, okay, so why'd you send for me? And then Cornelius goes, I, 
I don't know. God told me to send for you. What did you come here to say? We're, li- we're here to listen. Peter's like, I don't, God didn't tell me what to say. I, and just launches into what uh, he just thought, he figured God would probably want him to say. I do find it interesting that God didn't give him a, a script to say to Cornelius in that vision. He didn't say, hey, go with these people and here's what I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them this, this, and this. Peter didn't need that script because he knew at this point what God wanted to tell him. What did he know God wanted Peter to tell Cornelius? The same thing he had been telling everybody else about, and that is Jesus. Peter then launches into, with these Gentiles, the very same thing he launches into over and over and over again, we've seen in the book of Acts, with Jews who he's hoping to help come to know Jesus. Peter didn't need to be told what to say because he knew what to say and he talked about Jesus. In fact, you could, it's mapped out here. You can look at verses 34 through 43. Peter tells them about Jesus' life and ministry. Peter tells them about Jesus' death. Peter tells them about Jesus' resurrection. And then Peter tells them that by faith, they can receive the forgiveness that he offers to them in what he had done on the cross. That's it. Peter just laid out the gospel. But here's the one thing that Peter now adds for the first time here in this text. Look at verse 43. He says, All the prophets testify, t- testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The point is clear. Peter is realizing and now articulating this includes Gentiles. This includes non-Jews. And get this, before Peter can even get to the invitation and say, so do you guys believe? Do you want to receive this? The Holy Spirit already sweeps sweeps in and says, and and brings these guys into the faith in just an unmistakable way. In verse 44, the Holy Spirit comes upon them much in the same way that the Holy Spirit came upon the Jewish Christians in Acts 2, allowing them to speak in tongues and praising God in such a way that he was making the the forceful point that I am for all people, God said. I have brought salvation through Jesus for everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, equally so. And Peter and his Jewish companions were astonished, it says. They were absolutely floored by what God was doing. We see the main point here really And that is that the gospel is for everybody. God was making it absolutely clear that the gospel is for everybody, regardless of your background, whether it be religious, racial, political, social, economic. Jesus came to die for you and to bring you into his family. And if you are in his family, he wants you, Christian friend, to to, to, to not ever write anybody off and to never see anyone any less worthy than you. Cornelius goes through an interesting arc here in this story, which I think is worth noting here, because in the early part of chapter 10, we see that he was a God-fearing man, that he was devout in following God. And yet by the time Peter comes and preaches the gospel, we see clearly that he needed to receive Jesus. That's important to note because salvation is not just through good works. Not just by saying, hey, I follow God. I just, you know, I do these good things. I'm a a good person. No, the gospel says we need to receive what only Christ can do for us. Because the gospel tells us that at the end of the day, even if we have good works, we still fall miserably short of what God calls us into. And we desperately need his forgiveness and love, which he so freely offers through his son's death and resurrection to life. 
The gospel, in other words, says, come as you are, even as it is a call not to remain as you are. And the path that God had Cornelius on and his family on was just the beginning, starting to move in his life, make him more like Jesus. And we see clearly also in the example of Peter that we never then graduate from that gospel message. Even if we become, quote unquote, head of the church, we are still very much works in progress, still very much in need of God working in our lives, molding our hearts into his likeness. The gospel is for everybody. The last thought here I think we see is that while we we saw early on that God starts with us, we see here and into Acts 11 that God doesn't stop with us. After seeing the Holy Spirit clearly move in these guys' lives, Peter said in verse 47, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so they baptized them. And you gotta figure at this point, Peter and his Jewish companions were probably just utterly in awe of God moving, bringing the Gentiles into the faith too. Could you believe it? And so they started walking back to Jerusalem, back home, back to the church. And you could only imagine what that conversation must have been like as they were making that journey home. Like saying things like, isn't it incredible? God's doing this with the Gentiles. We got to be a part of it. I can't wait to tell the church back at home. And then they get to the church back at home. And here's what we read starting in chapter 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the Jewish believers rejoiced with them and said, surely God has done a great thing. No. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, it says the Jewish believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Notice there's no question mark after that statement. It, it's, it's not a question. They're saying, you met with a Gentile. You've got some splanning to do. Speak for yourself. What we see is that even though God had already done an incredible work in Peter, for that matter, Cornelius and his family, God still wanted to do yet another work in the church family. He wasn't done. He wasn't done with Peter's role in this too. And so what does Peter do? He just replays the events. They criticize him. He just replays the event. He says, I had a vision. And in that vision, God said, don't call anything unclean that I call clean. And and he said, said, I want you to go with these people that are are at your, your, your front door waiting for you right now. Go without hesitation. I went down. I saw these people and I realized that they were Gentiles. And I thought probably what you guys would have thought that, hey, they're Gentiles. I shouldn't be going with them. But I, but God had to, just told me through his Holy Spirit, I got to go. And he just gave me this vision. So I'm like, I got to go. So I went. And then I got there and they were ready to hear me. He himself had received a vision. This man named Cornelius, this, this Gentile, he waited to hear what, what God had me say. I didn't know what to say. I figured I'd just tell him about Jesus. I told him about Jesus. And it was like the day of Pentecost all over, but for Gentiles, the Holy Spirit came on and they were speaking in tongues. Church family, it's incredible. And I love how verse 18 of chapter 11 uh, concludes after Peter Peter's explanation. When they, the early church, heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even Gentiles, uh, uh, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Which if there's a moment where I'm really proud of the early church, it's right here. They got it. 
And they got it so quickly. I love this. But let's not fail to see that they didn't start there. Where did they start? They started with criticism. Criticizing Peter for having gone to this Gentile and speaking with him. And so what does Peter do? He tells this whole account. In fact, there's so much text dedicated to the retelling of the very events that Luke had just in great detail recorded for us. I mean, it almost feels redundant, which begs the question, why does he feel the need to repeat it all? And I think the reason for that has to be he was showing what led the church from verse 3 of chapter 11 and criticism to verse 18, and that is of acceptance and praising God. God starts with us, but he doesn't want to stop with us. We all have to be lights and beacons for those around us, showing his love and what he calls us to do. Just like Peter. Peter's work wasn't done just speaking to Cornelius and just having the work done in his heart. No, he went back to his church friends and graciously, graciously but patiently worked them through, uh, bring, helping them along. Notice Peter didn't just go to the early church and say, you guys, you're a bunch of idiots, even though he had just been in that place himself. You guys are stubborn. You guys are prejudiced. You guys are racist. You just need to figure this out. He didn't do that. He, he slowly, patiently, graciously walked them through what God had been doing in his life, showing to be true to him through his scriptures, through the Holy Spirit leading, and trusting God to do the work in their hearts, which God did. I think there's some application points for us. And that is that we have to be real intentional about sharing God's love and what he's moving in us with, with those around us. A real easy, low-hanging point of application here is for parents, of course. As we raise up the next generation, God calls us not just to think about our own hearts and you know loving and serving and caring for those in an increasing manner, those who um, are of different uh, perspectives or backgrounds or think differently than us, but to help raise up the next generation to do so as we model that ourselves. Or, and when we get it wrong, to own that and help them through that. There's so much opportunity to do that right now with, with politics. And then, and then think about the point of application in terms of politically speaking. Our nation is right now more divided than any time before in the recent past. And sadly, many Christians are a part of that division and, and, and using divisive language. Look, the Bible teaches us to have convictions, to not move away from those things, but to love and to love and really lay down our lives for those who don't see things the way we might see them. The gospel is Jesus came to lay down his life for his enemies, not just people who see things differently, but people who were literally killing him. Jesus didn't browbeat people, but he won people over by living selflessly and sacrificially, even to the point of dying for the sake of giving them life. And it's important to note that, people, that Jesus didn't win people over to a political party. He won them over to his eternal kingdom even saying that my kingdom is not of this world. That's our calling, not to convince people to be of a certain political party or this or that, but to help people see and understand Jesus, that they might receive him. And so this is so important for us today as we wade through this, this tense environment with the elections right in front of us. How can we look to love and care for those that we might not see in, from the same perspective or are coming from different places and backgrounds. 
And then when we think of this as point of application when it comes to race relations and justice, some in our, in our church family, for, for, for you, this is especially personal. Uh, this isn't an academic thing, but it's ex- experiential for you. And I can't help but think with all that our country is facing right now and has been facing for, for a long, long time, that it's been extra frustrating and hard, even exhausting for you, not only understanding kind of where our culture's at, but probably in, in much respect with how brothers and sisters of Christ have been responding, the ways that they've been responding, or how brothers and sisters of Christ haven't been responding, the ways that they don't engage. First off, this, if this is you, we love you, but we also wanna say that you have an invaluable role and ministry to play in all this. You are, in other words, like the transformed Peter, helping others walk through what God would have them walk through. As Peter shared his story and his experience graciously, but insistently, slowly but surely, God worked in and through him and did a miraculous work in the heart. And it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Look, all of these things are no small matters to God. All of these things clearly, clearly from the book of Acts and really all throughout the Bible are very near and dear to our Lord's heart. And church friends, he wants to do a work in and through you and me. Not just others, but in and through you and me. And that starts with looking within. He calls us to look within to look at our own prejudice, our own places where we fail or lack or have a lack of love towards those who have a different background or perspective or see things differently. And he calls us to be a part of his love, extending that to people who might see things differently, come from different backgrounds. He gives us opportunities to partner with him. And so let's be looking for those ways, not only in our own hearts, but also with those around us pointing one another to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel, the the gospel of of Jesus dying for those who who were his enemies. Lord, we were your enemies. I mean, really, that's what sin is. We just rejected you. We we deny you. And and Lord, we continue to do so in in much of the ways that we've been talking about today with prejudice and and just deep-seated racism and, 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 and other things just embedded in us. Father, would you forgive us these things? And would you show us how you would call us to become more like Jesus in all of this and be a loving light beacon to one another at the church and in our community. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.